0: Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all of his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, And was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore... Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Our uh, topic today, as Matt has said, is on rest. Uh, the Winter Olympics have begun. The Evans family haven't watched much of the Winter Olympics, to be honest. It's not as Big a deal in our house is the summer Olympics are. Some of you may have been watching the Winter Olympics, but but on Thursday night uh, we sat down and watched um, a little bit of it. And what was pr- a pr- the prime time thing on Thursday night was was the snowboard half pipe competition. I don't know if any of you watched that. It's pretty cool. Um, it, each athlete would begin at the top of the half pipe on their board, right, and each of them had six jumps out of the pipe, in which they would do all these tricks and flips, and, and then they had to land the jump. And, and, of course, if they didn't land one of their six jumps, they were eliminated from the competition for that run, even if, like, just their hand scraped the snow as they came down. So, if you only landed one jump, and that jump was a perfect 10, but you missed your second jump, then you would only have 10 points, which wasn't going to be enough to to win. And and as we watched it, one of the fascinating things to watch was that the majority of these contestants would they would just crush the first two jumps, the first three jumps. They would get this unbelievable air, they would do these amazing tricks, but often, more often than not on the third or the fourth jump, they would fall. More athletes fell than didn't fall, and they were disqualified. And the comment the best part about this was the commentators. It's like they got Bill and Ted to do the commentary for this event. Um, it was like these old snowboard dudes. They had probably smoked something right before this competition started. It was hilarious to listen because these guys would nail the first jump and the commentators would be like, bro, did you see that? Did you see the air he got? And you know, you're used to like Al Michaels or Bob Costas. That was not these guys. It was fun to listen to them. They would go crazy in the early jumps, and then when a guy biffed it, you know, the commentators would, in a much more understated way, say, Oh, he's been eliminated, right? And um, I, I realized about halfway through watching this that the person that was gonna medal, the person that was gonna win, should focus first and foremost on just like finishing the race. Like, you know what would be helpful? To land all six of your jumps. You could get 25 feet of air, which one guy did, by the way. 25 feet of air. And then he biffed it on the third jump and was disqualified. Uh, it, it was really striking as we watched it and as we laughed at, at the commentators how little focus these snowboarders seemed to have on just making all six jumps count and how much focus they had on having the most spectacular or fantastic jump. Um, finishing the race... Should have been their first goal. And and as I was watching, you know, I couldn't help but think in between laughing at Bill and Ted, the commentators, I couldn't help but think about what we're learning in Hebrews as as I thought about that competition. Because Hebrews, as we've seen already, and as we'll continue to see, is full of these admonitions, right? It's full of these encouragements. It's full of, well, warnings as well. Keep going, Hebrews says. Keep believing. Don't stop fast. Hebrews encourages us, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, Hebrews encourages you to finish the race, to to persevere. Later in the letter, in one of the most famous verses in all of Hebrews, the author tells us this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know who he was. By the way, it was a he. I'm not trying to be like presumptuous there. He refers to himself with a masculine pronoun, so we're pretty sure it was a he. he um, he's a great pastor. Uh, I don't know if you notice that whenever he makes these admonitions and encouragements, it's always in the third person. He always includes himself. Let us, first person, let us. Uh, we need this, right? And, 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 he, he's able to, to love and care for the people that he's writing to while at the same time exhorting and challenging and, and warning them. And we see that again in this text this morning that Matt read. In verse 11, we see him say, let us strive to enter that rest. So our theme today is entering rest. Where are we in Hebrews? If you haven't been around, let me just real quickly catch you up. Hebrews, so far, has laid out for us in just a wonderful, beautiful way, the superiority of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus is superior to everything. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. And the author will continue with this. Jesus, we're about to see, is, is the greatest high priest. Jesus brings a superior covenant based on superior promises. Jesus builds a superior tabernacle. And today... Jesus offers superior rest. And so because of all of that, what Hebrews has said is that because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we are asked again and again to believe in Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus, the author says, the apostle and high priest of our confession. I've said this, or Will has said this, almost every week. Hearing about Jesus is not a passive experience. Do you believe that? Hearing about Jesus, as you hear about Jesus right now this morning, it's intended to lead you to trust in Jesus. And not just trusting in Jesus once in your past, but each and every day in your present. To live lives of of daily reliance and repentance. Running the race marked out for us. Hebrews says, hey, you've landed a few jumps on the half pipe, right? Keep it up. Don't crash and burn take care. So, rest. Rest. That's what we're thinking about, and that's what we're after in the next couple of minutes together. These verses teach that God offers us real rest. I wonder if you feel the need for rest today. Already this morning, when I asked some of you, how are you? Your response is, no, it wasn't great. It was, tired, tired. I'm glad you're great, Kathy. That's awesome. Um, Often the response is, tired, I'm worn out. Uh, You know, we might be, in our culture, the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. And that is with all of our modern medical techniques and psycho self-help therapy, etc., 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 we're worn out. Hebrews 4 says, though, there's a rest offered to us. Jesus himself promised to give us rest. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew records Jesus saying, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's see what Hebrews can teach us about rest. Two things the nature of this rest first, and that'll be by far the longest point, and then secondly, the urgency, the urgency of this rest. So first, let's look at the nature of this rest that Hebrews 4 talks about. If you listen to Matt as he read, or if you just read through the passage again, the word rest is used repeatedly in these verses. You see it in verse 1, verse 3, 4, 5, 8, 9, 10, 11. And of course, this idea of rest flows out of the quote that we looked at last week from the Old Testament. Back in chapter 3, verse 7, the offer quoted from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Hebrews 3 and 4 is basically a sermon on Psalm 95. And there in Psalm 95, we saw last time, God said of the rebellious, hard-hearted Israelites who wandered in the wilderness, verse 11, "...they shall not enter my rest." So, that's the first thing to see about the nature of this rest. It is God's rest. Did you catch that? I mean, look through the passage with me and see how often the rest is described as God's. Verse 1 while the, promising of entering, the promise of entering his, God's rest still stands. Verse 3, again quoting from Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 5, and again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 10, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works just as God did from his. The first thing to know about the rest Hebrews offers is that it is God's. So what does that mean? What does it mean for God? to rest. Now, this idea is literally as old as time. In fact, the idea of God's rest goes way back to the very beginning of the Bible. That's where the author quotes from, by the way, in verse 4. He says, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And then he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. God rested on the seventh day from all his work. So if you were to take Genesis right now and open, open up to it and read through Genesis 1 and 2, even you little kids, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, you're going to notice one thing that repeats again and again as the author records God making the universe. It'll say, there was morning." And there was evening, the first day. And then it'll say there was morning and there was evening, the second day. And on and on and on, all through Genesis chapter 1. But then, you get to Genesis chapter 2, and on the seventh day, you read that God just rested. And crucially, very importantly, that pattern, there was morning and there was evening, the first day, that pattern is broken. And the seventh day has no end to it. So for God to rest doesn't mean that, you know, he was literally tired. It's not like God was like, oh, man, Jupiter. Jupiter took it out of me. Those Saturn rings were tough. I am exhausted. That's not, <laughs> that's not the kind of rest that God entered into when he rested. What God's rest means is that he looked at what he had made, he declared it to be very good, and he enjoyed it. He delighted in his work. Some of you know what that's like, right? If you've done a a long, hard day of work, maybe in your yard, or maybe you've just accomplished a project, and you can sit down and look at what you've done and take some pride, delight in your work. That's the type of rest that God had. And because the seventh day has no end... The Scriptures mean for us to draw a very important conclusion for our purposes in Hebrews 4. And that conclusion is this. God's rest is not ended. He's still in his rest. The default uh, setting of the life of God is this eternal rest that he entered into after he made the world. When I was a kid, uh, my dad was a pastor, And from time to time, someone in our church would pass away and my dad would do the funeral and we would go to the graveside service. And I remember when I was young, uh, when I would look at all the tombstones in a graveyard, I would see what I thought was the word rip. And I remember thinking, why do all these people have the word rip on their tombstones? That is bizarre. And I could not figure it out. And so one day I worked up the courage to ask my mom and my dad, what is rip? My dad was like, okay, that's a, that's an, you know, what is it called? Acronym, thank you. That's an acronym. It stands for rest in peace. God is resting in peace. Now, I realize as I say that, it makes it sound like God is dead. God is not dead. Change that illustration next time. Um, God's alive, but he is resting, and his rest is is Peaceful. It doesn't mean that God's not doing anything. He still oversees this world by his providence. It just means that God is satisfied. That God has no need. So the rest is God's rest that he entered into after he made the world. And then the second thing back in Hebrews 4 that we can learn about the nature of this rest is that we can enter into it. We can participate in God's rest he gives, in Hebrews 4, a fairly you know, convoluted and dense recap of the experience of Israel in these verses, especially verses 6, 7, and 8. But his overarching point is this. So, so stick with me here, okay? The author is saying that the rest that Israel, under Moses and then under Joshua, was supposed to enter into was never intended to be, finally and fully, the promised land. The land of Canaan that they were leaving Egypt to go into. The promised land was just like a signpost pointing to an even greater rest that was available to Israel even then. That's what those verses are getting at when it talks about David and Joshua. The author is saying David, when he wrote Psalm 95, was already in the promised land. And he wrote this centuries after Joshua had brought God's people into the promised land, and David in Psalm 95 can say, today you can still enter God's rest. The point being, Israel going into the promised land wasn't the ultimate rest God intended, and David building the temple wasn't the ultimate rest God intended. No, the ultimate rest God intends is something more ultimate. It's something greater. There still remains a rest for God's People. And that's still true now. It's true for each one of us here this morning. There is an opportunity for you, no matter who you are or where you've been, to enter into God's rest today. How? How do we enter into God's rest? How can we experience the rest that God went into after creation? Look with me at verse 2. For good news. For the gospel came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not, now here's the key, they were not united by faith with those who believed. Here we see what we saw last week, right? The Israelite generation under Moses, they did not enter into God's provisional rest in the promised land, nor his ultimate rest. Why? Because they rejected, the author says, the good news. Side note real quick, very interestingly, verse 2 and verse 6 both tell us Israel had the gospel preached to them. I mean, that's literally what it says. The gospel was proclaimed to the Israelites, and they rejected it. So they didn't enter God's rest because of unbelief. And then the author puts it positively in verse 3. We who have believed, enter that rest. So there it is. We enter into God's rest by, through, faith. By continuing to believe the gospel, by not spurning or ignoring the good news we hear proclaimed to us. Now, we've had to do a little bit of kind of heady work to understand this text. But listen, I think this is a really encouraging idea for you to take into your life today. So I want to try to impl- apply it, it in ways that I found it to be encouraging this week, and in two ways. I think there's a present day application for us, and I think there's a future application for us. So first, there's a present application of this idea that we can enter into God's rest by faith. Look in verse 3. You'll see there that that verb, for we who have believed Enter. What tense is that verb in? This stuff matters for our understanding of the Bible. Present tense. That's a present tense verb. I think that's saying that there's a way in which we can experience God's rest right now. We can enter into God's rest right now in our present lives. What does that mean? Think about this with me. What is it to believe? And how is that like God's rest? What is it to believe? And how is that like God's rest? I think verse 10 kind of hints at it. Forever, Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works just as God did from his. So to believe, to have faith, we talk about this all the time at this church, is is to trust in Jesus rather than in yourself. It is to rely on the work of Jesus for your identity and for your life, instead of relying on your work for your identity and for your life. To use the language that Hebrews uses, to believe is to believe that Jesus is is superior, that Jesus is enough. That's what Hebrews is all about. Jesus is sufficient for us. And so, We can enter into God's rest now. We can experience now the future fullness of the kingdom in our hearts when we're trusting, when we're believing, when we're resting in who Christ is for us by faith. We can rest right now from the endless, futile project of trying to prove ourselves. Did you hear that? you can rest right now from the endless project that all of us by nature are on of trying to prove ourselves worthy, of trying to prove that we belong. We can rest right now from trying to constantly make ourselves lovable to others and to God. We can rest from trying to earn acceptance, If you are devoting your life to your work and making a name for yourself through your occupation, that is not going to give you the rest that you want. If you spend way too much time comparing how you look with how others look, whether it be actual real people or, even worse, people on Instagram, that is never going to give you the rest that you want. If you spend your life trying to make your family the perfect nuclear family that everyone looks up to and that you're going to be admired for for the rest of your life, that's never going to offer you the rest that it promises. All of those things end in futility. In fact, they give you the opposite of rest. They give you weariness. They give you restlessness from trying to always measure up from trying to earn acceptance. We can lay all that down. Why? Because Jesus has done all of that for us. Jesus has already told us we're accepted. Jesus has already given us perfect love. We're in his hands if we've trusted in him by faith. We are God's children, his sons and his daughters forever. And we can rest in that now. We can live out of the heart of Christ for us. Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly tells this story. It's an illustration that I think is helpful. Picture um, a 12-year-old boy. Picture a 12-year-old boy who's growing up in a loving and healthy family. And as this boy matures, he begins to feel insecure about his place in his own family, about his identity. Not a very abnormal thing. That's fairly common, right? And um, so because he feels insecure, he begins to try different things to gain acceptance and assurance. One week, uh, he tries to create a new birth certificate for himself. Uh, The next week, he determines to spend all his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. Some of you are like, why can't my kid be that legalistic and try for my acceptance (laughs) that much? You're missing the point, right? Um, Another day, he he determines he's going to do all he can to imitate his dad. And one day, his parents question this strange pattern of behavior. And the 12-year-old responds by saying, I'm just doing all I can to secure my place in the family. Now, how would his father respond to that? My son, there's nothing you could possibly do to earn your place here. You're our son. Period. You didn't do anything at the start to get into our family, and there's nothing you could ever do, no matter how much you think it's going to disappoint us to get out of our family. Your sonship is settled. It's irreversible. The rest Jesus offers is telling you that your sonship is settled. You're his child. If you've come to him in faith, you can rest in that good news. Does your life reflect that at all? Do you find yourself relishing and delighting in? Your identity as the beloved of God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's the only way to enter into God's rest. So there's a present way we can experience it. However, um, the future of God's rest is undoubtedly the primary emphasis of this text. Um, What the text is really driving at is that God's rest is another way of describing, well, heaven. And this can encourage us as well. And I I want to encourage you with it this morning. The, The text is saying that one day we will have final and full rest that is only provisional and dim in this life. One day you will have final and full rest from striving, from your work, from your labor, from all the toil and hurt, all the pain and weakness, All the sorrow and sadness associated with this broken world. We will enter into what verse 9 says is the Sabbath rest of God's people. Think about um, what is the most restful thing for you personally to do. If you were to take a Sabbath day, which I would encourage you to do one out of every seven days. What is most restful for you? What is going to be most life-giving? You know, maybe it's going on a nice hike with your family. Maybe it's cuddling up on the couch next to a fire with a glass of, a, a, a mug of hot chocolate in your hand watching a great movie, right? Maybe it's walking with your spouse hand in hand on the beach. That's what heaven, that's what God's rest will be like to the nth degree. So this text is saying that in all the hardness of life, and life is often so hard, in all the trouble of this world, in all the sorrow we feel and face over sin and death, Hold out hope. A Sabbath rest awaits the people of God. We will rest from all of our works just as God rested from His. So, listen, here's what that means. You stay at home moms who feel unseen and defeated, who feel like your entire life is cleaning up spit and things that come out of different bodily orifices, who feel forgotten this text is saying, keep the faith. Your rest is coming. You faithful followers of Jesus who are doing all kinds of different things, working for justice in this world, seeking to alleviate suffering and and darkness. Keep the faith. Your rest is coming. You dads who are doing the best you can in kind of a clumsy, confused way. To set a good example for your kids. To teach your boys about true manhood. And to teach your daughters how women should be treated. Who are working to provide for your family throughout the day. And the day in and day out of work. This text is saying, keep the faith. Your rest is coming. You older saints who are seeing your bodies begin to weaken. And your minds begin to slow down. And who are wondering, what has happened to me? Keep the faith. Your rest is coming. J.R.R. Tolkien describes Rivendell uh, in The Lord of the Rings like this. You should know what Rivendell is, by the way. But if you don't, Rivendell is the home of the elves. Best place on Middle Earth and would also be best place on real earth. Um, Here's what he writes about Rivendell when Frodo, for the first time, enters that city. In Rivendell, the future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but it ceased to have control over the present. Health And hope grew strong then, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal, every word, and every song. That's rest. That's what awaits you if you rest in Jesus by faith. Keep the faith and have hope. That's the nature of the rest. Much more briefly, then, let's look at the urgency. The urgency of this rest, as Hebrews always does, These verses give us a sense of the urgency the author has. There's sort of a a passionate plea in these verses. And, And in a somewhat of a paradoxical way, there's an urgency to work for the rest God offers. It's as if the author is saying, and this is me paraphrasing, friends, listen, because of the rest that God has made available for you, God's rest, see to it that you enter. In light of the rest, Jesus offers his people, taking his easy yoke upon you and resting in his kind love. Keep on believing. In light of the rest that awaits us after death, fully aware and fully alive in God's presence. Let us strive to enter that rest, verse 11. Here's the call then. Here's the exhortation. Once again, Hebrews is never merely theoretical or intellectual, but it has practical application and implication in each of our lives right now. Don't be like Israel, who hardened its heart against God in the wilderness and was banished from entering God's rest. So much more briefly, let me show you a negative and a positive aspect about the urgency of entering God's rest. It's put negatively in verse 1. Look with me. Let us fear Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, usually the Bible commands us not to fear, right? Do not be afraid. But here, we're commanded to fear. What kind of fear should we have then? This isn't like a craven fear, fearing that God is out to get us. But it is a reverential fear. It's a fear that, as Paul says in Romans 2, doesn't presume on God's kindness. It's a proverbial fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the kind of fear Jesus talks about in the Gospels, where he says, don't fear those who only have the power to destroy your body, but fear him who can cast your soul into hell. To fear, practically speaking, means don't trifle with God. Keep believing. Some of you have seen this documentary that came out a couple of years ago on Netflix. I think it's Netflix called Free Solo. It's about, I've talked about this before. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's this uh, climber who uh, in this uh, documentary, they, they film him preparing to and then climbing El Capitan, which is in, where is that? Yosemite? I think it's in Yosemite National Park. And, you know, it'd be easier probably to, like, go outside and climb that wall right there. I mean, it's unbelievable what he does. And, and at one point in this documentary, by the way, he does it freely, like no ropes or anything attached to his body. Just him and his little hammer and El Capitan. Him and his good buddy, El Capitan. And, um, and they ask him at one point in the documentary, do you ever get afraid when you're up there on a the mountain? And interestingly enough, at one point you learn he like is missing that, I don't know, like molecule or a piece of his DNA that makes you afraid, like in the way we would be afraid. But he answers the question, yeah, I get afraid. But when I feel fear, it drives me to find the next foothold. When I feel fear, it drives me to carefully plot the next five to ten feet up. That's the kind of fear that you're being urged to have here in Hebrews 4. And Listen, we have to tread carefully here. This can be easily misunderstood. What Hebrews is saying is that the stakes are high. The hearing of the gospel, which is what the Israelites rejected, is no small, inconsequential thing. Can I say something to you? Listen, if you've been in this church for a while, I'm not, if you're new, I'm not talking to you right now. If you've been around for a while, uh, my bl- your blood is not on my hands. And and I say that sincerely and seriously. And that's not because Will and I are these amazing preachers. It's because we are committed to preach the gospel here purposefully over and over and over. And if you hear it and hear it and hear it and you harden your heart, you are the most culpable. You are more culpable than the pygmy in New Zealand who's never heard the name of Jesus. You're culpable because you've heard of Jesus' love and you haven't listened to it. You've rejected him. You will not enter his rest. So listen to Jesus. Don't think of this as some religious game. God is not to be mocked. While it is still called today, enter. It's put positively in verse 11. Let us strive. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Keep the faith. The way to enter God's rest, both in the present and in the future, is to rely on and and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Redeemer and your Savior, Savior, as the God who loves you and gave himself for you. And so I ask you, my friends, again, as Hebrews asks you again and again, do you believe that? I'm not asking you if you believed it 30 years ago and walked down an aisle and said, sign me up. I'm asking you, do you believe it now? As long as it is called today, strive to enter his rest. Let's pray.